And uh, hello from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael with this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Nice to be with you today and uh, looking forward to our topic, which is the two faces of pride. You know, we've all heard the expression, pride goeth before the fall, and that excessive amounts of pride are a bad thing, but a little bit of pride is a good thing, so we want to be proud of ourselves, but not too proud. Well, what in the world is all of that about? And let's look first at the polarities of pride, and that's the two faces of pride, the two kinds of pride. And as we develop our topic today, and solicit again from you questions and comments, I think you're going to see that these two kinds of pride really correlate, at least my argument will be, that they correlate to two senses of who we are, um, an egoic self, a separated self, and then a higher self, um, a more elevated perspective on things, a more inclusive view, and of course, uh, the wisdom of the higher self. So the two faces of pride, I think, are in a sense uh, a way of understanding that essentially there's two of us. Now, you know me, and most of you know the wisdom. Anytime we start talking about either or, two choices, this or that, there's got to be a middle, right? There's always what in the East is discussed as the third way not just the East, but we think of that as a Buddhist model to, to discuss the middle way or the third way or to use the classic model of the bar magnet. And boy, I hope you guys bring this to mind a lot. Anytime we talk about dichotomies or polarities or opposites, think of the poles of a bar magnet, all right? And then the middle way is the magnetic field around the bar magnet. That and the pendulum, which I'm not going to get into today, are two of my favorite models. In all my years of studying uh, psychology and mysticism and metaphysics, those two models are supreme in many ways because they introduce the either-or mind. The fight or flight, right or wrong, good or bad, this or that, winners and losers, all differences are opposites. Listen to that. All differences are opposites. You hear the trap right away, don't you? Turning life into a true-false exam. I mean, even in school we had multiple choice, but in the real world, there's a lot of pressure to reduce everything down to true or false. You saw that in the political campaigns where uh, each side would charge the other with having voted for some horrible bill or voted against some essential bill. Well, you know, how many times in looking at legislation would you find yourself coming down sort of like 70-30 or 60-40 or 55-45, you know, or <laughs> you're not always 99-1. And there is no such thing as a hundred zero, right? There is no point on the bar magnet, no extreme on the bar magnet that has managed to escape the influence 
of the opposite pole, don't you see? And that's why the magnetic field is the middle. That's the harmonizing or unifying agent, the middle. And so when I say there's two of you and two faces of pride, there's always going to be a middle. We're always somewhere in between the false self and the true self, between false pride, pride in the wrong things for the wrong reasons, and healthy pride, wonderful pride, and joy, its relationship to joy. Okay, And so that's a little foreshadowing of what we're going to talk about today, the two faces of pride, okay, and, and the way it relates to the two selves and where we are in the middle between those two selves, okay. Again, the pendulum swing, similar deal. No point on the swing of the pendulum that is devoid of the influence of the other side. And so back and forth it continues to go. It's always relative. You know, There is a culture clash in this country and the world between relativists and absolutists. And the far right the warmongers, I don't mean true conservatives, I mean the neocons, the corporatists, the uh, quasi-fascists, if you will, the authoritarians, the, the tyrants and the totalitarians. Um, this is the most uh, separate and false sense of self that we can have. So uh, more on this in a minute. I just want to do a little foreshadowing of what we're going to talk about today and then tell you a little bit about what's going on in Focus Passion and also how to promote this site a little bit. I just want to remind you that on theagelesswisdom.com, under web teleconference, if you go to, most of you have, I'm sure, at some point gone to my website, theagelesswisdom.com, remember the T-H-E, theagelesswisdom.com and then uh, click on homepage to go inside and then you'll see all the navigation links on the left. Choose web teleconference and this live class will be listed a day or two before the event and then the replays of all the past webinars are going to be on that page as well and you click on it and there it is with a built-in audio player and you know how that works. But also in that same place is a cool little gadget where you can send one of these programs to a friend or associate, somebody who you think will be interested. And I would say be specific in the topic. If uh, if you have somebody who's uh, sad and depressed, then send them the webinar that we did on depression. Or if they're having a problem with concentration, send them a program that we did on ADD or um, I, I got a comment. Let me look at my Q&A here. I got a comment from an old friend of mine. Not that he's old or I'm old, but we've been friends a long time in San Jose. And he may have left this before the event. I'm not sure. Maybe he's with us now, Ed, in San Jose. Um, he was talking about using this send one to a friend gadget to send a program on reflective communication. This was a show we did here um, or a class, a webinar that we did a few months back on conflict resolution in um, in a marriage or in a close friendship, and 
how to fight fair, basically, using reflective communication. Well, he benefited from that, benefited from that, and knew a couple that he thought would benefit from that, so he used the gadget to send them a link to that program. You can do the same thing and get a real nice feel-good, what works for you. You know, when it's all part of the law of attraction, isn't it? That if you give without needing anything in return, it's more effective and more powerful, more efficacious, if you will, than giving with an expectation that you're going to get something back. That's one of the finer points in the law of attraction. You reap what you sow. You go where you look. You get what you expect, action, reaction, whatever you want to call it. One of the finer points, but a very important point. Uh, Steve and I did a podcast on the Master website, Focused Passion, a premium podcast, recently where we talked about give to give as opposed to give to get. And initially, you got to massage the concept a little bit. It's a little, what? Whoa, hold on. What, what are you talking about? Give to give as opposed to give to get. Right? Well, it's do you have expectation? Because if you have an expectation that there is this metaphysical law that's going to benefit you, you know, like part of karma, you get brownie points if you do something well and, and you're good and kind and generous then that's going to come back to you. But if you're expecting it to come back to you, then you really haven't given anything. I bet you've turned that over in your head all of your life. Okay, I remember wrestling that with that with a teenager. It's like, well, if I know I'm going to get something back karmically, spiritually, or metaphysically, then how can I ever give? Because I always am aware that I'm going to get something back, so I can't really give. <laughs> Not in a pure sense, anyway. You know, you can't really max it out. Well, yeah, you can. You give to give. You look for the reward in the giving without any expectation of return in kind, in the physical, or in a spiritual or metaphysical way, either. You don't bank karma points. You know, you don't create a karmic savings account. You just live in the moment the most loving life that you can give. And you find that the whole principle works much better that way. Well, I I believe in promoting these classes in the same way, with a give-to-give mentality. It's pretty hard to tell people about this webinar or the podcast Steve and I do at FocusedPassion.com. You can tell them about it, but at some point what I want you to say is, you know, uh, I really can't tell you that much about it. You're going to have to hear it. You just got to hear it. Right? Can't tell you about it. You got to hear it. Let me send you one of the programs, and then just send them a program, and that's all they'd ever ask you to do. Okay. Whether you can do that for us on Focus Passion or right here with the webinar. Okay. Every Sunday, it's fine. Both sites have that same send one to a friend gadget. Support what supports you. Spread the good news. Uh, Send a program to a friend that, again, is on a topic that they're likely to be interested in and and benefit from, just like Ed sent the program here to a couple that were having a tough time communicating. And that's what it's all about, right? And uh, he just did it because it felt good to know that, hey, this technique Michael 
taught us worked for me, maybe it'll work for them, right? And that's enough just to give, that feeling you're giving, right? That's what this is all about, give to give. I know, I know a lot of us get cynical about these things sometimes, but it's as simple as all of that. So thanks, first of all, to Ed. So nice to hear from you, and uh, I'm glad that worked for you, that reflective communication in uh, marriage and family. And uh, Ed's a good friend. He and I grew up real close together, right across the river from each other in southwest Michigan, but we didn't meet till college. And uh, I've been in touch on and off over all the years. Nice to hear from you, Ed. Good morning to you. Or good afternoon on that side of things. Still morning out here in Hawaii. Uh, So that's pretty much what I wanted to say about helping us promote this website. Let's go to our topic of the day. And then we'll go back to the uh, questions and comments from all of you. And then, of course, uh, we'll wrap it up with a guided imagery exercise to sort of install, underscore, reinforce the concepts that we're going to talk about today. So pride. Um, There was a movie that was made about 12 or 15 years ago called Seven with uh, Morgan Freeman and uh, uh, Brad Pitt. And they were both uh, police detectives and they were trying to find this insane serial killer um, who who was murdering people based on the seven deadly sins. And uh, each murder was associated with a different deadly sin, and these two detectives had to figure out what he was doing and try and prevent the, him from reaching all seven uh, murders. Pride is one of the seven deadly sins pride. And yet, we're we're adults here. We all know that pride can be a good thing. So what do we do with this idea of being proud? I want to be proud of myself, but not too proud because, you know, pride goeth before the fall. If you're too proud of yourself, you're you're going to jinx yourself. You're going to set yourself up. You know, you, you put yourself way up on that pedestal. Somebody's going to knock you down, you're going to have to learn your lesson, you're no better than anybody else, well wait a minute does pride mean that we are better than other people or just that we're becoming the best we can be every day in every way, better and better I think this is one of the distinctions it may seem obvious to some of you but it's a groundbreaking concept in people's lives where they begin to realize that false modesty and playing small doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the people who you think, in a relative sense, feel better because you're playing small, and it certainly doesn't help you to play small. I guess the first time I saw this was in high school where you could talk with a group of girls, you know, teenage boys, teenage girls getting together. And, uh, you know, in class, these young women were brilliant. 
and often outperform the men in literature, in science, in math, in history, in civics, whatever. Right? Teenage girls are often more mature and in terms of academics and scholastics do better in school. But then, between class or before school or after school, when we're just teenagers, you know, uh, interested in social relationships and romance and love and sex and sexuality and all of that stuff, how many of the girls would play stupid? As if this was some sort of strategy. Although I don't think they were conscious of it. It was just sort of the way they related to guys, right, was to pretend outside of class that they really weren't as smart as a guy and to be deferential and let the guy be the he-man, right? Um, and there's a lot of marriages like that. The, the uh, born-again community has a term for that. Is it surrendered wife? Um, geez, I'm trying to remember the a submissive wife, something like that. Maybe one of you can type it in uh, to the submission box. You know what I'm talking about, where the wife plays, because she thinks it's biblically commanded, an inferior and deferential role uh, to the husband. Um, I don't think that's very smart. I mean, that's sort of like the 50s uh, in America and many cultures around the world. Um, women are inferior. They're they're property. There there are oh geez I don't even want to get get going into this field because there's all these murders of women in the Middle East in Iraq, you know, in China. Uh, women are still seen as either property or even if their status as human beings is honored rather than chattel, they're still second class human beings and and inferior. We need to rise above that and get beyond that to equality of uh, personness or humanness, equality of dignity and, and respect for each other that, that that doesn't create a hierarchy out of gender. I mean, it goes without saying, except that it needs to be said, right? And here again is an example of playing small. That, that's, all, that's my only point. I don't think we need to do that. I don't think we want to do that. And I don't think we need to do that once we understand that self-confidence, true self-confidence and self-esteem, self-respect and self-reliance does not mean that you are coming from a sense of superiority. It doesn't require that you think of yourself as better than others merely different from others. Now again, I, f I feel like I should apologize to those of you who think this is obvious and that it's kid stuff and don't we all know this now. And having apologized to you, I'm going to stay, <laughs> I'm going to persist because I think we need to be reminded and to remind ourselves, wait a minute. I really think about this, this liberates me. I'm emancipated by a concept that I could never be superior to anybody, nor could I be inferior to anybody, if, first and foremostly, I am unique. 
I am different from? How could I be better than or inferior to if the truth is I'm just different from, I'm unique? Now let that sink in. Ponder that for a minute. Drink that up. Soak it up. I am unique. I've got a uh, a card somebody gave me that says, I think it's something like, congratulations, you are unique, just like everybody else. <laughs> it's a fun little riddle, you know. The one thing we have in common with everybody is that we don't have everything in common. We're all unique, right? Uh, that's pretty far out. Not just fingerprints, gang, which is true enough, but DNA, right? In a universe that won't even replicate snowflakes. Nothing is the same. No, no two blades of grass are, the, are exactly the same shade of green. No two grains of sand exactly the same shape. As if the universe is going out of its way to manifest in all these, not only diverse and multiple forms, but unique in diverse forms. Almost like the need to be to, uh, of, of the creator, if you will, to express itself through its creation. That needs to be diverse. For we can't find clones in nature. And yet, who in our lives, hopefully your parents, maybe a, a great teacher or a mentor somewhere along the way has introduced you to this concept. But frankly, I did not get it, and I don't think most people get it. I mean, in childhood, from your parents, the idea that you are special. No, 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 not better than. I didn't say you were better than Billy your brother or Sally, your sister, or the kids up and down the block. No, 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 no. You're unique. That's why I love you so much. You're so special. You're so wonderful. No, you're better in basketball. Billy's better in football. Sally's better in math. But Nancy is better in history and literature. You see. So... This is one of the things that uh, my business partner Steve and I have been working on in accelerated learning, which is we've got to stop grouping in schools students based on only their age um, or, or a level of achievement and begin to look at grouping students together based on their interests, on their learning styles, on their potential. Right. Um, not that we can't develop across the board all of the various potential students that are naturally good at science and math still should have access to the music and art programs, right? And the, the, the kids that love music and art, they still need to have some basics in math and science, right? But as Steve often says, if, let's say, a... Uh, uh, a young boy that loves baseball but is not very good at math, don't take away the baseball and force him to do the math and say you can't have your baseball back till you get your math up. Teach him to do math through baseball with earned run averages and batting averages and keeping track of numbers that way. That's smart. 
that's a very smart approach, but it requires that we group classrooms based on these kinds of interests and honor individuality rather than treating students like chattel or cattle or property. All right, 35 or 40 of you all move into this room. You're all the same age, roughly, so we're going to teach you the same thing in the same way, regardless of your individuality. It's not honored. And so if you didn't get that from your parents and you didn't get that from school and you didn't have somebody else in your family or in your circle of friends that has introduced you to the concept, then you have to do the work for yourself. You have to be the one who says, I am unique. I remember when I accepted it. You may be able to remember when you accepted it. For me, it was reading, well, I guess it comes in phases and stages, but one of the big breakthroughs was reading in high school, Catcher in the Rye by Holden Caulfield. I mean, about Holden Caulfield by J.D. Salinger. <laughs> Look at me, it's like I think Holden wrote the book. J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye, starring Holden Caulfield. Right. Uh, I read that book, I was 16 or 17, I think it like saved my life, because I'm reading about Holden, and he is weirder than I am, and I don't know how many of you saw Saturday Night Live last night, but John Malkovich played a teenage girl in one of the skits who did not understand the changes her body was going through and felt all weird and out of place. It was it was a brilliant skit. It wasn't all that funny, but it was a brilliant skit in terms of what, in this case, a teenage girl would go through, or any teenager, boy or girl, going through trying to find a sense of identity. That's what Holden Caulfield was going through, and I thought, this dude, as I'm reading this book, and I'm going through the same kind of thing, I'm thinking, this guy is more messed up than me. And the guy that wrote it is an adult, some guy named J.D. Salinger. I think he wrote some other books, too, I'm thinking to myself, right? He's like this all-grown-up guy, really smart, and he's writing this stuff, so he must be as crazy as I am. Right, and and I found great sense of <laughs> solace and even salvation. And wow, maybe I'm not that crazy, or maybe I am. Just all mixed up and confused and teenage crazy, insane. That's what I thought. I thought I was literally insane, but that I could fake it. Right. I, I, do you guys remember being teenagers? <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? This particular kind of insanity and there's just nobody you can tell how about how crazy you feel well what if there was somebody there saying well yeah but you are a little weird and a little wacky and a little wild and a little wonderful and that's who you are and that's okay right and that your thoughts could be wrong but your feelings are never wrong nobody ever told me that that it was okay to feel whatever I was feeling. Whatever I was feeling. How could you have a wrong feeling? Nobody ever said that to me. Maybe nobody's ever said it to you. How could you be wrong about a feeling that you have? 
How could you be wrong? You can misinterpret the feeling because, again, your thoughts can be right or wrong. You've taken tests. We've all gotten, you know, answers on the test that were wrong. Well, I thought it was right, but no. Checking now, I can see where that really was wrong. But you can't have a feeling that's wrong. So if you know yourself through how you feel, if you're taught as a child, as a teenager, to honor those feelings, how are you feeling today? Well, a little weird, wild, wacky, and wonderful. Okay, well, good. If someone would just say, it's okay, you're one of a kind. You have a lot in common with other people. But at the end of the day, there's just one of you. And your job in life is to figure out who you are. Why you're different. Yeah, look at the bits where you have a lot in common with other people. That's great. Important to know. But my goodness, do not suppress the parts of you that are weird. Dive into them. Or at least wade in, <laughs> you know, a little at a time and explore your weirdness, your your wackiness, your wild and wonderful nature. You're not defective. You're not broken. There's nothing wrong with who you are. How could there be? Okay. And this allows us to be proud of a proper sense of self rather than proud as in one of the seven deadly sins, which is pride in the false self. The egoic persona nature is the false self. It's the self that believes that it is not only distinct and unique, but separated and in need of defending. The part of you that defends the self is defending the false self, because the true self never needs to be defended. We get close to that with the sarcastic whatever, you know, kids are good at that, teenagers are whatever. You learn to do that without saying it. <laughs> you know, I have to sound like a teenager. Well, yeah, okay, fine, you feel that way? That's all right. right. See? Uh, we don't need to agree to get along. We can learn to agree to disagree. But again, it seems that if we could just honor at some point in our lives, even if we didn't get it as children or as teenagers, we didn't get it from other people, we're going to have to teach ourselves that because of my uniqueness, because everybody is unique just like everybody else, and to honor that means that we could not be superior to or inferior to. We're incomparable. You can't incomparable. What's the point of comparing fingerprints? You can say, well, this fingerprint is like that fingerprint. Yeah, but <laughs> that's still distinct. Well, this DNA is sort of like that DNA. Well, yeah, but at the end of the day, this is... John Doe's DNA. This is Michael Benner's DNA. There's nobody else. Nature doesn't clone. She needs unique expression. And if you don't see the beauty and wisdom in that, or if you haven't, then redouble your efforts to see what's right in front of your face. This sweet, powerful, incredible, 
incredible longing that the one life has to its express itself in so many ways. And you exist as a unique expression of that one life. Wouldn't you want to be interested in who you are? Wouldn't you be, I mean, I know you are, I'm being rhetorical here, I mean, I honor that you are because you're here, you're, you made a point to come to this webinar, either live or to the replay, to listen now to this whole program, so I don't mean you, you, you. Then again, let's take another look. Let's see if we can, if we're already there, and we are honoring our uniqueness and, and accepting our individuality. Let's expand that in all areas so that so that uh, we're as lucid as can be about our uniqueness and the way that liberates us from comparing ourselves to other people or judging other people. You you are now free to let go of judging others as an indirect and backward way of finding out something about yourself, which never works because you are not them and they are not you and you are each incomparable, and instead turning directly to know thyself. Now, one of the oldest admonitions on the planet Earth, know thyself, the ancient Greeks. It's about four or 5,000 years old. Plato said that, I think in Greek it's, know thyself, know thyself. And Plato wrote that, uh, Plato was 2,500 years ago, 500 years before Christ. Plato wrote that those words were inscribed over the oracle to Apollo at Delphi in ancient Greece a thousand years before his time. So in the Western world, it's one of the oldest admonitions. Imagine going to church or temple or synagogue or mosque or oracle or sweat lodge or whatever, and on the way in, you're reminded, by the way, it's really about you. That's wisdom. <laughs> by the way, you know, uh, your wife or husband just cheated on you, but it's really about you. Okay. Uh, somebody lied to you and stole from you, but it's really the experience you're having is really about you, about knowing you. <laughs> Imagine if we had that today, that simple wisdom of the ancients. Meanwhile, on the other side of planet Earth, the area we now know as China, a folk wisdom is evolving that says the same thing. The great sage Lao Tzu said, well, he, he who knows others is wise, but he who knows himself is enlightened. Like, it's, it's good to know other people, but you want real freedom, you want real enlightenment, you'll know yourself. When did he say that? Twenty-five, About 2,500 years ago, about the time of Plato, writing Know Yourself, Lao Tzu in China on the other side of the world is saying the same thing. Okay. And uh, we find this in hermetic philosophy, in the ancient wisdom of the world, shamanism, that ultimately it's about the self. Well, what do we need to know about the self? Well, the first thing we need to know is that it's unique, which gives us an opportunity to be proud of the self in an entirely different way. To be proud of even the egoic, separative self, the persona nature, 
without judging, now you know yourself and you can empathize. See, that's the that's just the the swap or the alternative you make. When you know yourself, instead of judging others to try to know something about you, you know yourself directly as you're being taught here in these classes through study and meditation and mindfulness, contemplation and such. And then you can empathize with other people. That's that's what judge not lest you be judged and you know, people who live in glass houses and all of that stuff is really about. It's like, no, it's just a, another way of saying know yourself first, and then you'll see yourself and others and God in all things. How can you see divinity in the world if you can't find it in yourself? Those of you who, are, who have come up in a Christian background, remember Jesus saying again and again, haven't I told you the kingdom's within, heaven is within inside you <laughs> what are you looking out here for and by the way store your riches there not on earth okay it's within it's inside you <laughs> wouldn't you want to know yourself and of course you do that's why you're here but most of our neighbors are not interested in themselves they're terrified to look in themselves so pride false pride is pride in the false self the self that thinks that it needs to be superior and dreads the fact that much of the time it finds itself feeling inferior when both judgments are irrelevant. You cannot be superior. In some areas you can be better, and in other areas not so good. But on balance, this is where our, our, the whole Constitution comes from, the idea of, of equal rights and uh, equal opportunity, right? comes from this concept. It doesn't mean we're all equal. I may love basketball, but it's not likely I'm going to ever play like Magic Johnson, right? Um, we're not equal in that sense. We're equal in the eyes of all that is divine. We're, we're equal. We should be equal before the law, right? have equal opportunity, not be judged or discriminated on arbitrary things, but on character and what matters. But we're really not equal, you see. We're unique. And that's what you need to be proud of. You know that your pride is healthy if it's humble, if it's sweet and it's kind, because you know the bitter taste of arrogance, I'll bet. We've all tried it on. Some people like it. They get used to it. It's an acquired taste. Some people are born with it. There is this personality disorder we don't really understand, actually a whole cluster called the B cluster, be like boy, bravo, of personality disorders where people lack a conscience, primarily narcissism. Um, also uh, what used to be called the uh, the psychopath and now is the sociopath or the borderline, the histrionic, especially the narcissist, though, completely devoid of any conscience. And you see this arrogance. They often are admired and respected for their drive and their conviction and their determination. And they often succeed in, in, in business and in government, except that they're so damn corrupt. <laughs> That's what we're seeing playing out of now the corruption of a lot of narcissists 
who have no conscience, no sense of right and wrong. How do you pay yourself $150 million a year knowing that you're stealing grandma's pension? I mean, that's what you're dealing with. The guys behind Bush and Cheney that are stealing right now, plundering the Treasury, right? Capitalism devouring itself and taking down. There is no honor, it appears, no honor at all among robber barons. You know, the oil guys do real well, but to hell with the airline guys and the car guys. Uh, sorry, you know, we're just going to cannibalize each other as this whole corrupt system falls apart. A lot of who runs media, business, and government are people who have mental health problems. It's not healthy to think of yourself as superior or better than. And uh, then there are, you know, other levels of people who simply emulate that because they think it's success. See, no, no person in touch with the true self that says, I'm unique, but couldn't be better than or inferior to. I'm just separate from. Nobody with a conscience or an awareness of who they really are could believe that they're capable of earning a million dollars a month or more. That's what the head of GM makes, a million dollars a month. All right. You can't earn, I'm sorry, you cannot earn a million dollars a month. Okay. Much less some of these hedge fund guys and bankers are paying themselves $150 million per year. All right. Like $12 million a month. It's just insane. How could you do that? Knowing that the money comes from the dwindling pensions and 401k funds of hardworking Americans that believed in the American dream, did everything they were supposed to do. You know what I'm talking about. If you got a 401, I, I mean, I'm, I, I've been hesitant. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, um, what, what am I trying to say? It'll be another year or two before I qualify for my small radio pension through AFTRA. But I've been hesitant to even call and find out where it stands. You know, because we're losing benefits all the time. I used to have health care for myself and my wife once my pension kicked in. Uh, ten years ago, they took away the health care for my wife. And, uh, the, the amount of money I get every month and the quality of the health care and all of that that's in our pensions or that we've set up with our 401ks, they're stealing that from us. Every day they're, they're, they're stealing. How does somebody do that? And how could they be proud of themselves? You see, that's obviously a false pride. And it comes from thinking you are superior we're just having no conscience at all. So those of us who are working on developing our consciousness and conscience, a sense of right and wrong, good and bad, values, ethics, are clearly a subset or a part of consciousness, developing the awareness of self, right, is part of that whole process. Um, I couldn't do that. I could never do that. I couldn't. I couldn't steal. I couldn't. St I, I can't steal a Snickers bar from the store, let alone Grandma's pension, and be proud of myself. However much I made, 
it's a little scary if you really consider it to think about to what extent, at least it is for me, to, to uh, produces anxiety for me to consider what a significant percentage of our leadership in this country has been, I won't say is now, but has been, a bunch of uh, sociopaths and narcissists, people with no conscience at all. And for them to say that that's capitalism or that's the free market, certainly not the free market, maybe it is capitalism. Uh, I think Adam Smith would be ashamed of himself, though. Something's missing here. We're being led in corporation, in, in um, government, and in media by mentally ill people. They don't seem interested in the fact that a third of the world is hungry and 30,000 children die of extreme hunger and malnutrition and poverty every day. How do you ignore that? Uh, how do you pay yourself 10 million a year or 100 million a year and dissociate yourself, disconnect from the world around you? Some are not able to do that. So there are guys like Warren Buffett, uh, uh, Bill Gates, each of them anted up roughly $35 billion to create a charity to give back. So there's a little conscience in there. There's a little bit of humanity, a little spark of the true self, and a sense of good pride, you see. So my appeal is let's be proud of ourselves. Let's just do it from a point of view of not the separative self. It's a harmonious self. Right? The ego self, the false self, is separate and therefore superior. When you honor your uniqueness, you don't become separated. You honor your uniqueness. You harmonize and join the pool of uniqueness. And then you can be proud of yourself as this unique being who, of course, is incomparable. Better at some things, not so good at others, really talented here, and eh, not much of a natural talent here. Okay. And honor that without any confusion about, therefore, I'm better than or inferior to. I'm just different from. That's emancipating, I would argue, and is a path to a better sense a higher, more complete, true sense of self, your your authentic nature, you can be proud of. You can't be proud of characters and roles and games that you play. Well, maybe you can on a smaller level, but it's just so much easier to honor your uniqueness and accept that, yeah, I'm a little weird that way. Well, that's just sort of, I'm a little wacky that way. Yeah, I've always been interested in that. Not sure why, but I'm finding out. I'm pursuing that interest. And make your life be about that. In, 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 your, in your job, your career, in your marriage, in your other relationships, in, in your avocations, in your dreams in general. To make it about you. To make it about you. To be fascinated in who you are. I mean, everybody wants to know other people. They want to influence other people. So in order to influence and persuade and manage and maybe even control other people, i got to know other people. 
but, you know, wouldn't it make sense that you'd have to know the one who wants to know the other people? I mean, isn't there an order to it? Know thyself. One who knows others is wise, but who, one who knows himself is enlightened. Start there. It's just inside out. You know the you know the graphic of the. We've all seen photos of the drop of water in the pool and it splashes and it radiates out. Live your life from the inside out, from the insight out, from <laughs> from the interior of your personal essence out into the world, radiating out into the world. You see, know yourself, grow yourself. And then give that away freely in the world, helping other people to do the same, supporting them in the process of knowing themselves and growing themselves, and then creatively expressing that unique self out into the world, rather than what's in it for me and trying to pull the world toward you. Even in prayer, supposedly religious people getting on their knees and asking for more, give me this, give me that. Yeah, once in a while a prayer of gratitude, but how about, hey, God, what can I do for you? Or to those of you who are more agnostic or philosophical, hey, absolute, hey, totality, hey, higher power, whatever. I'm not really on board with this separative God, man, and a cloud thing, but whatever is behind all of this, I see some sense of organization. What can I do for you? How can I help? I don't. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some religion in, that does that, but I never learned it in the religion I was exposed to as a kid. Right? Two kinds of pride, two kinds of self, and they, again, those are the polarities. Those are the two ends of the bar magnet or the pendulum. Okay. This is really the cross. You know, the pendulum has the vertical aspect fixed on the top, swinging broadly on the bottom. But you also have the string that connects the two. In other words, you have a vertical aspect to the pendulum, but you also have a horizontal aspect, the swing of the pendulum. And so our polarities in life are both vertical and horizontal. I don't want to get too esoteric, but this is wonderful stuff for those of you who have a taste for it. You'll find a lot more on my website about this under Wisdom Nuggets and some of the articles there. The idea that there's really a couple of bar magnets. There's a vertical bar magnet with spirit at the top and the material world at the bottom. And then the material world has its horizontal it's horizon, it's horizontal bar magnet. This is the yin and the yang, the positive and the negative, the ebb and the flow. And actually, it's two horizontal bar magnets that are positive. In the <laughs> because the, the yin and the yang, for example, of uh, good and evil or love and peace uh, is not, you know, the love and the goodness is in the middle, not on the extreme. So the, the farther out the pendulum swings, that's the negative pole, so to speak. And again, we could do a, I could do a class just on bar magnets one day, or pendulums. Uh, who's read Foucault's Pendulum, or Foucault's Pendulum by uh, Umberto Eco? Uh, if you love deep, pithy metaphysics, you'll love that. The allegory of the pendulum is one that 
like the bar magnet I really notice the, the pendulum on the spirit end is fixed it, it, it takes up no space it doesn't move it's unmoving it's eternal it's infinite takes up no space it's just a point a location a focal point a loci but at the other end of the pendulum is the yin and the yang of the material world, the ebb and the flow of the material world. And the further up the pendulum you move, the less dramatic the swing until you get to unity at the top. Like the Mandela describes the journey home again. But which self goes home, you see? So that's my little uh, essay today, my oral auditory essay on the two faces of pride. And how we can, by honoring our uniqueness, allow ourselves, liberate ourselves, to be proud of the right sense of self rather than proud of the false self that thinks it's either superior or inferior. Imagine being free from ever judging yourself or comparing yourself again. Uh, that, that's a quality of true pride that I think is just joyful. It's just happiness for no reason, joy, pride. Even speaks to dignity and self-respect and integrity and, and those kinds of concepts. Okay, we're coming up to the top of the hour, so <clears throat> let me uh, invite you again to use the comments button on the bottom of the web page if you're with us live today. And we'll say hi to some of the folks here and see if we can respond to some of these comments and questions. Already identified my college buddy Ed from uh, San Jose, uh, who's on with us today, and. In uh, Lake Forest, uh, Randy saying uh, blessings, uh, Michael wishing you and your family happy holidays filled with love uh, through the whole year and uh, uh, sending your friend in life, Randy. Thanks, Randy. Uh, he and I go way back, too. Always nice to hear from you, Randy. And Carol from La Habra is with us again today, and she always likes to say hi to Doreen as well as to me, and thank you for that, Carol. And nice talking to you earlier today. She's thanking us for the birthday card we sent her to. You're welcome. Birthdays are fun. Patricia Vega is with us. She says aloha, and uh, isn't it true that we are important to the one life as we are unique? But let's see. But we are a form like every other form, so it's easy to feel important, but also to sometimes feel very small. You bet. And it's all true. You know, it's all true. It's pretty easy to go out in the, if you live outside of the city where there's less light pollution, go outside at night and sit back or lay back and look at the stars begin to contemplate what you know about the distance between the stars and just think that virtually all those stars that you're seeing are just in our galaxy that if you saw another galaxy it would look like a fuzzy little star so all of those stars are just our galaxy and there's 150 billion of those galaxies each having 100 to 150 billion stars and then you multiply 150 billion by 150 billion. And what is that? 3, 6, 9, 12, 144 zeros or something like that? <laughs> it's pretty easy to feel small and insignificant. We're just driving down to 405. We'll do it, as I recall. 
but uh, it's a head trip. So go there, check it out, feel small and insignificant, and then ponder the self. Okay, what does that mean? I like the allegory of the jigsaw puzzle, too, that every, every piece of the jigsaw puzzle is unique. It's a different shape, looks different. It carries different information on the face, and yet all of the pieces are necessary to make the whole. So if even one piece of your puzzle was missing, it wouldn't be whole. That means, in the one sense, you are very small and very insignificant. However, your importance in, is, is in your essential nature. You are an essential part of the universe. Well, all of a sudden I don't feel, feel very small and insignificant. Well, you are small, but not insignificant. You're essential. But look at all the essential bits. That's pretty cool. So anytime there's paradox, go for it. There's so much truth in paradox. Don't be afraid of confusion. Dive into the middle of confusion. Uh, Robert in uh, Irvine, uh, one of my ham radio friends. Uh, Aloha, Michael. Uh, he says, uh, giving to give reminds me uh, when I studied Hinduism. I learned that the quickest way to get off the karmic wheel of fate is to give without expecting anything in return, not expecting a reward. Yeah, even though you know deep inside you will, that's a path to knowing you already have everything there is. You already are the whole universe. Every cell in your body contains the potential of the entire universe. Um, but, you know, this is stuff that mystics try to find words to explain, but it's experiential, and I can't, <laughs> you can't really put it into words. Uh, but yeah, that's it, that's it. So, give to give is the way we talk about it, rather than giving to get. Just don't keep track. Don't expect, don't need, just be, again, we talked about gratitude, just be happy with what you've got. Right? Prayers of gratitude. How about that? See what that does for you. In Tribuco Canyon, Darina is with us again uh, this week. Hello, Darina. Thanks for being with us. She says, uh, always such a pleasure to hear your voice live. Uh, my experience with people is that most of us don't know how to love ourselves, and we lack pride in ourselves, and this makes it impossible to have anything to give others. <coughs> well, that's a very good point, isn't it? We don't love ourselves, we're not nourishing the self that wants to give to others, whether it's to get something in return or to expect that you'll earn karmic brownie points or to give to give. It all starts with self. That's another way of, of uh, honoring that order, right? Putting yourself first is hard for people to do. We resist putting ourselves first because we are afraid it might appear selfish rather than enlightened self-interest. Dorita goes on, she says, uh, talking about times that we become needy and that we think that other people can give us the pride that only we could find in ourselves. Yeah, well, even if they tried, we wouldn't recognize it, right? How many times have people loved us and we've questioned whether we were worthy of that love? Why do they love me? Do they have a hidden agenda? I don't know if I can handle that much love. And then Dorina says, you've taught me that we need to be self-full and 
people confuse that with being selfish. Yeah, exactly. Very good, Jamila. Thank you. Nice hearing from you. And, um, oh, let's see. I hit my scroll button by accident. Hold on. Robin in Irvine is back again saying, uh, giving to give reminds. Oh, no, I did that already. And then Dorina, here we go. Uh, Dr. Kevin, Amsterdam. And uh, let's see. Kev's uh, on about a story. CBS documentary about a toxic threat to the male reproductive system. And, uh, boy, you can count on Kev to come up with this stuff. He's talking about all kinds of uh, environmental challenges to the body's immune system and such. And, you know, in the context of this program, what that reminds me is, once again, we're not separate. Um, here we are honoring our uniqueness as a way of understanding that while in form we are unique, the energy or spirit that is expressing itself here is coming from one source. And we can see that played out in the ecosystem, where there is one environment, one ecosystem, but where does it get its unitive strength, this universe? from the diversity in the ecosystem, from diverse plants and animals. And so, of course, you know, why should we be surprised to find DDT in Eskimos' mother milk or in polar bears have DDT in their body? Wait a minute, we put the DDT in coffee in Colombia and it ended up in the polar bear in the North Pole? How did that happen? Well, we're, we're not so naive anymore. We're if we can understand it in the environment, how everything touches everything, everything is everything, right? All these parts are part of one whole thing. If we can see that in the ecosystem, we can see it in the Internet, in the computer world, how we're creating this global net brain here out of all these computers hooked up, programs like this. Maybe we can begin to see it metaphysically and spiritually, this at first blush paradox between the one and the many, between unity and diversity, between the whole and the part, and then that middle bit again, the love that is the longing of that part to be whole. That's what drives us, that's what gets us out of bed in the morning, and that's what's most available to us when we're proud of the true self. Okay. Tucson, Arizona, Lorelei is with us again today. It's always nice to hear from you, Lorelei. She says, Aloha, Michael. I'm happy and lucky to know and have your uniqueness in my life. Well, thanks, Lorelei. Takes one to know what I always say. In Oceanside, big Rosicrucian outfit in Oceanside in uh, the last century. Uh, Roberto says, Know thyself, then to thine own self be true. Seems like the natural progression. Hi, Michael. Hello, Roberto. Yeah, that's Shakespeare, of course. We already quoted Plato. What's the line in Hamlet? To thine own self be true. It's, it's, it's dad giving advice to the boy before he goes into town for the first time to do some business. and He's giving some tips and advice. And finally, at the end, he says, this above all. To thine own self be true. And then as the day follows the night... Thou canst not be false to any man. If you're true to yourself, 
<laughs> you have to tell the truth. You have to be a virtuous person. And, and if you try to be a virtuous person, it doesn't make sense if you don't put yourself first, if you're afraid of knowing who you are. Yeah, so I'll thank Bully Shakespeare for that one, or whoever wrote the Shakespeare stuff, to thine own self be true. And Robert in Irvine says, uh, what is the karma for those who have no conscience? Well, it would be to generate, in, depending on the belief system, in this lifetime, and presumably in other lifetimes, because you can't really have karma without reincarnation. And you can't have reincarnation without karma. The two go hand in hand. So there is no bad karma. Karma for having no conscience would be an opportunity, a series of opportunities, in this lifetime and in future lifetimes, to learn to develop your conscience, to be a more conscious person. And life just finds ever more challenging, ever more difficult, uh, seriously consequential ways to get your attention. You know, I talk about life will touch you with a feather to teach you a lesson, and if you miss it, life will give you a gentle shove, and if you're looking the other way and didn't get it, it'll poke you with a sharp stick to get your attention, and if you still aren't learning the lesson life needs you to learn, not unfolding properly, Life hits you over the head with a brick, and then you say, hey, what did I do? I don't deserve this. not my fault. What the hell? Well, or you know the story of the people that are drowning, and they're on the roof, and nah, I won't get into all of that. <laughs> so that's the way it works. And uh, we can set goals. This is the most elegant way for us to promote our own growth, our own unfoldment, the development of conscious, conscience and consciousness, is to set goals and to take risks because we move toward those goals. And as you approach the goal, as you attain it, then you set a new goal because uh, life is a journey more than a destination, right? It's an adventure, and it's going to be a little risky and, and a little bit scary, but um, that's the whole process looking at the clock. I'd like to go along with some of these. John in Pittsburgh says, great class today, Michael. Thank you and aloha. John, you and I need to talk. I got. A, I almost called you this morning. I have a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about, so I'll get to you or you can call me later today. In the Apple Valley, California, Don uh, says, thanks again, Michael. Another great gathering. Thank you, Don. Always nice to hear from you. Kasia in Irvine uh, says, uh, one could say giving out what we have is an act of gratitude for having been given that in the first place. Oh, I see. Okay. So what are we really giving? What, whatever we are giving then is already a response to something that we have received that is given to us. And many of us get it backward. Yeah, we want to get before we, you know, we want to harvest before we sow the seed. <laughs> See, you gotta sow, there's a chicken and egg thing there, right? But you gotta, it, it, it's you reap what you sow. You gotta plant the seed and then you harvest. Uh, you've gotta forgive to be forgiven. Don't, don't do that grudge thing where, you know, you demand that, well, if they apologize, then I will. Like, that's some big deal. Okay. No, you initiate the apology. You initiate the forgiveness. You initiate the letting go of it. All right? 
That's the, the, the giving has to come before the receiving. No question about that. All right, well, thanks for your input, uh, and, of course, thanks for, for being with us, uh, all of you who are on the line or on the telephone with us live today and uh, listening to the replays. I want to remind you those replays are always available at uh, my website, theagelesswisdom.com. And uh, even if you don't get a newsletter one week, and I'll warn you, in the next couple of weeks I'm working with a couple of different um, approaches to bulk email. And so your emails are going to look a little different, and um, probably even week to week as I work toward a better system. But it will settle down in a few weeks. The good news is you don't even need the newsletter with the link in it to come here. If you just want to come directly every Sunday or at any time to hear a replay, just go to my website, theagelesswisdom.com, and click on Homepage to go in and then on Web Teleconference. And usually by Friday or Saturday or day or two before this Sunday class, the upcoming class will be there. And, of course, all the past classes are there as replays, and you can listen to those uh, with a built-in player. You can download them to your computer. You can also subscribe to the podcast. Okay, it's your choice. Either a manual download, a podcast, or listen streaming. It's all available, and it's all free for you, along with that gadget to send one to a friend. Okay? So let's do a little visualization exercise, a guided imagery exercise, and... Uh, then we'll call it a day here, and I'll let you go. So get to a comfortable place. And if this is a good time for you, if you're not operating a chainsaw or a carving knife or other dangerous gear, driving a car or whatever, close your eyes. Take a nice, full, deep breath. Exhale, feel the letting go. And do it again. Two, maybe three or even four. Very unhurried, slow, ah, deep breaths. And what you're doing is convincing your body it's safe. It knows now that you're safer. You'd never be doing this slow, deep breathing. And if you haven't already closed your eyes and the brain says, oh, fellow's really safe. This being that I, that is me. And then thirdly, as you allow your breathing to find a natural rhythm, let your body just breathe itself. You begin to feel a softening in your body. A letting go feeling of muscular tension falling away. The the holding on that we do, the little mini micro tightening throughout the day, you can let go of now. And from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Allow yourself, it's not really an effort, it's allowing yourself to release effort, to let go, to feel yourself softening like butter on a warm day, slowly to the very core of your being. How safe can you feel? How relaxed can you feel? As you begin to visualize in your mind's eye, 
place of perfect peace, a place of ideal relaxation. Probably outdoors, right? In nature someplace. But it could be a favorite easy chair at home, or you could even travel through time. Remember going to Grandma and Grandpa's house when they were still alive because you felt so safe there. So wherever you find yourself, see your surroundings. Especially if you're outdoors, you can even listen for the sounds that go with this place, birds singing. Let my voice come with you as a guide. My voice will lead you into and, and back home again through this enchanted place of relaxation and safety. See the greens of the trees and the grasses, wildflowers, blue sky, warm sunshine. Or if you're in an indoor space that just feels so safe and relaxed, remember how it used to feel to be there. And you're feeling that feeling now. So safe and so relaxed. those of us who are visualizing an outdoor place, sit upon the earth. If you're imagining yourself indoors, then replicate what you are in fact doing now, sitting perhaps on a pillow, a comfortable chair, sofa. So you're meditating and visualizing yourself in the safe and peaceful place, doing the same thing, meditating, relaxing, and just reflecting for a moment on how it feels to be proud of yourself. As if conjuring up or calling up your sense of pride in your self, simply Turn your attention to how pride feels, how it feels to be proud of yourself, and let it come upon you. And notice the part of you that begins to resist right now. Do it again if you're unclear. Let the pride come upon you, but watch to see if there's a governor on it. If there's a part of you that starts to push it away when it gets too big, let's do it again. You're so safe. You're so relaxed. You feel so good. Now you allow that sense of pride. You remember how it feels to be really proud of yourself. Let that come upon you now. Notice whether you resisted or whether you got to a point where you felt a need to manage or control the pride before it got too big and overwhelming. All right. All right.
it. Just feel that. This is not a thinking exercise. So much as just allowing yourself to feel the pride and watching the part that thinks jump in. Like, oh, i got to manage this. Don't want to get too big ahead. If I'm too proud of myself, some part of you might be saying now, if I get too proud of myself, people will think I'm arrogant. I'm full of myself. I think I'm all that. And then they won't like me. And then how will I please them? And how will I earn through trying to please them the feelings of acceptance that I don't know how to give myself, the feelings of love and trust and respect that I'm not allowing myself to have because I'm afraid to be proud of myself. I'm afraid to love myself because I don't really know who that self is. And what about me is so deserving of love and pride and dignity and integrity and just being okay with being real. And whatever the head game here, allow yourself to feel proud of yourself again. Reflect on which self, what part of self. And does this pride feel like better than other people pride? Or is this a quality of pride that feels like I'm not really good enough? Or could it possibly be that we could allow ourselves just to feel proud of the fact that I'm doing my best to be who I really am, whatever that is, without judgment of self, without self-criticism and self-loathing and, and self-denigration and, and that damn critical part that keeps yelling in my head, sounding sometimes like a parent or somebody else in childhood who was critical of me, telling me I'm bad, I'm stupid, I'm wrong, I'm inadequate, I'm bad, I'm stupid, I'm wrong, I'm inadequate, as if that as a mantra will keep my ego in check. And I'll still be the false self, and I'll still be proud of the false self, but I won't be all that proud, and so I'll be okay. No, you won't. Take a breath. remind yourself that you're unique. You're one of a kind. You are a unique expression of the one life. You are all that is. From an individuated point of view and your responsibility is to explore that unique point of view. Ah, I'm proud to represent the universe, the whole thing, as an ambassador, as an explorer of this particular point of view. What's it like to be me? And can I be happy? Can I experience happiness for no reason, just simple joy and healthy pride? 
having this unique point of view and this opportunity to know the experience of living in form in what appears to be a separated world of separated forms from which I too am separated. Can I allow myself to live here and get real about the fact that I can have the appearance of separation and the qualities of uniqueness and at the same time, by honoring that, feel the longing to be whole and experience myself as part of something really, really big, an essential, necessary component of something too vast to even comprehend and be that I am. And you know you're doing it right if it's easy and you're humble and you're kind and who you are is okay. And you don't need to be superior or inferior in any way. You're just easy in your own skin. Learning every day in every way to be more and more comfortable with who you are. Knowing that... <laughs> There are some things about each of us that are very unique. Honoring that, respecting that, seeing it as a privilege, and again, an opportunity to know yourself, and then to grow that, and then to express that lovingly and creatively out into the world in support of others doing the same. Everything that is made from love is real and true and lasts forever. That kind of pride that's the self. Anything that is not love is not real, is not true, and will eventually pass. Make things that last. Make them out of love. Because that's who you are. That's what you are. That's what you do. Start with yourself. Know yourself, grow yourself, know thyself, and express that into the world. Sing, dance, move, be alive, be vital, be caring, be loving, be sweet, be humble. Be proud of your real self, the true self, the one that's unique and could never be better than or inferior to unbalanced, just unique, to be easy in your own skin, and to approve of yourself, to accept yourself, the real self, <laughs> the true self. Tell yourself now, the higher self, the true authentic sense of self, that this will be easy to remember. That this feeling you can recall quickly and easily, and that there are wonderful benefits in practicing this exercise. And I'm orienting yourself toward my voice, remember the room in which you sit, and get ready to, in a moment or two, open your eyes wide awake, breathing slowly now, inhale, and
And as you exhale, relax and open your eyes, wide awake, alert, refreshed, rested, feeling fine, and getting the sense that, hey, maybe I am okay being just a little weird and a little wild, a little wacky and a little wonderful. You know, it's me. It's okay. It's really cool. Accept yourself. Love yourself. Trust yourself. Believe in yourself. Be pride in in the best sense of what it means to be proud of yourself. Dignity, integrity. It's always sweet. It's always humble. It's always inclusive. It's always loving. That's how you know it's real and good and true and beautiful. The good, the true, and the beautiful. That's what's real. Hey, thank you so very much for being here. Uh, Join us next week. Tell your friends about it. Use the Send One to a Friend gadget. And I hope you'll use the link down in the bottom corner of the page where it says Unleash Inner Peace and check out the premium audio site that Steve and I do together, Finding Yourself in Paradise. We ask a contribution of just 99 cents a week, and it's the best stuff that we're doing together. Steve and I have worked on and off for 30 years together in this whole field. And if you like this program, you're going to love Finding Yourself in paradise 99 cents a week check it out click that button unleash inner peace and visit focusedpassion.com tell your friends about that too okay and again join us next sunday we'll be here at one o'clock california time four o'clock in the east 21 hours gmt and as always be gentle love life and take care of each other this is michael benner in maui aloha